Welcome to Growth Mindset University. I'm your host, Jordan Paris, and this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school but did not, so that we can succeed in the progressive new age of business and life we find ourselves in today. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. I am extremely grateful that you are here with me today on Growth Mindset University. Two times per week, we have interviews with the best of the best. New York Times bestselling authors, billionaires, the like, the most successful people in the world, people like Mark Manson, Naveen Jain, James Altucher, so many more. And I don't want you to miss these interviews. So go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, Growth Mindset University, wherever you are listening right now. One of my favorite things is when you reach out to our guests that we have on the show. So for example, if you enjoy today's guest, please reach out to them. Tell them that you enjoyed today's episode. Send them that token of gratitude. Like, look, I heard John Jordan's show and it was so good. This really impacted me. If you do this with every guest, you're going to start building a world-class network in record time. This is how I built my network. So this is just another way I'm looking to give back to you here. Just give you this little tip. So reach out to our guest today. And now without further ado, please enjoy the show. My guest today is Chris Widener as one of the select members of the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame alongside Tony Robbins, Dr. Wayne Dyer, Stephen Covey, and other legends. Chris is widely recognized as one of the top speakers in the world today. He has spoken all over the world in places like Germany, Spain, Russia, China, Egypt, Singapore, Australia, and of course, all over the US and Canada. Chris is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author as well. He's written 20 books, including two he co-authored with the legendary Jim Rohn. He has also worked extensively with Zig Ziglar. An esteemed businessman as well, he began a small publishing company called the American Community Business Network in the 90s. Chris then changed the name to Made for Success and grew the company into a large business selling tens of thousands of personal development programs through large retailers like Costco, Sam's Club, Walmart, Target, and Barnes & Noble. He sold that business to his partner in 2009 to focus on his speaking, writing, and coaching exclusively. Chris Widener, welcome to the show. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So people can find you at chriswidener.com, Chris Widener on Amazon for all of your books, including uh, The Angel Inside, which is I know is your favorite, uh, 12 Pillars with Jim Rohn. All your books are going to be there on your author page. Just look up Chris Widener and it will for sure be there. So Chris, my first question is, I mean, you've worked with these legends, right? And you were mentored by them and, and even, yeah, and of course, produced work alongside them. How, how does one receive that opportunity? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes people will say, um, they'll say, uh, you know, how do you build a speaking career? And I say, well, first thing you do is you have John Maxwell call you. And once John Maxwell's done calling, you have Jim Rohn call you. And once Jim Rohn's done calling, you have Zig Ziglar call you. And once you get that down, you're, you're in business. Yeah. Um, so I, I always tell people I got hit by lightning three times. Uh, I was asked to ghostwrite for John Maxwell back in the early 2000s. 
Um, and then that led to getting a call from Jim Rohn and, and asked me to co-write with him. Uh, so I got credit on those and wrote the Jim Rohn one-year program, the book 12 Pillars and the, the sequel Above All Else. Um, and then I ended up with a television show in Dallas called Made for Success, where I interviewed top, uh, top performers, business people, politicians, uh, authors, speakers, athletes, and, and the like. And the network wanted Zig Ziglar to have a television show. And Zig was getting on in age. And um, I'd been selling about 75,000 audio programs a month through Costco and Sam's Club. And uh, one of the guys that was in all of my uh, boxes that I sold was a guy named Zig Ziglar. And his son, Tom, ran the business for Zig. And so I knew Tom well because I was writing him quarterly checks. And uh, Tom said, you know, why don't you come and co-host this show since I was flying from Seattle to Dallas about 18 times a year to record the show. So they just built the recording schedule around my show and then I would do the show with Zig as well. And you can still find that on YouTube if you uh, Google Ziggler Widener True Performance or not Google it, but YouTube search it and you'll see it on YouTube, a bunch of episodes up there. And uh, it, it was a great, great honor to be able to work with those guys. Of course. All of this came from you being a talented writer in the beginning. That's the first thing. That was the first thing. You know, when the internet started, I got on early 1996 or so. Um, maybe not when it got started, but when it became popular and, and for the masses. And I realized that everybody had uh, websites, but not a lot of people had content. So I wrote uh, 450 articles and I gave them away for free. All people had to do was put at the bottom, you know, Chris Widener's a popular speaker and writer, blah, blah, blah. Find out more about him at chriswidener.com. Sign up for his email easing by clicking on this link. And it was an automated link that put him right onto my email list. And so I built a list of about 100,000 people um, by 1999. And uh, people started, you know, um, running my articles. I met the the president of John Maxwell's company and I met and they needed somebody to do some writing. And so I wrote his nationally syndicated column for 18 months. So you were blogging, right? And Essentially blogging. Yeah. Yeah. Back. It's like, that's like doing podcasting in, in like 2008. It sounds like, I mean, you hit it at just the perfect time. You kept with it and yet you were crushing it before anyone else really a hundred thousand subscribers and you what you said 1999 yeah i mean I, I, I look back at some of the people that got started back then um ali brown i don't know if you know ali brown but um she runs a company called iconic out of scottsdale here where i live and and ali had worked at like glamour magazine or or you know one of those um, cosmopolitan or something. And she got started and it's back when we called them e-zines. I don't even know if they call them e-zines anymore, but she was the e-zine queen. And, uh, so she built a big list, a guy named Vic Johnson, who, who gave away a book called As a Man Thinketh. And oh, a, a, a bunch of us just got started, uh, you know, early on and we built a big email lists and big businesses. And so it's always fun to see where all those folks ended up after 20 years. Yeah. There's a real first mover's advantage, it sounds like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you're now a you know, you're now focusing on coaching, right? Yeah, I do a lot of coaching. Um, successful executives, small business owners, uh, athletes, uh, people who want to go from their success to their significance. You know, they, they're people who are already very successful. Um, and they just say, you know what? I want to be more successful. And, you know, people can become very successful and still have a lot of blind spots. They don't know what's holding them back. Um, and a lot of times they can get successful at a young age and they don't know what they should do with it. 
Um, you know, for example, I, I have a client, um, 32 years old, three kids under the age of five, makes $485,000 a year. And he didn't even know he was supposed to get life insurance. And so, you know, one of the things we did was we got him $5 million worth of life insurance because I said, what happens if you get hit by a bus? So here's a guy who's really, really good at his work, which causes him to make, you know, half a million bucks a year. Young, didn't know, you know, how to manage some of those uh, decisions that needed to be made. Um, but, you know, a lot of times executives, they don't know how to manage their teams or be a leader. Um, and uh, and a lot of them now are saying, okay, I've got the money, I got the car, I got the house, I got the wife, got the kids, I got everything that the American dream, but I just don't really feel like I'm successful. And so we move into some areas where we help them achieve um, not just success, but significance and understanding how they can make a lasting impact and create a life or a business that will live beyond them. You mentioned blind spots. That's a great topic. Uh, I try to seek out, uh, I try to become less blind in my psychological blind spots, so to say, where I'll say, I'll ask people, like, what about this just sucks? What about this is unclear? And I, that's those, you know, the answers like always that I'm given is, is always kind of hard, but that's, those are the things that make me grow and help me get a lot better and improve, especially with this podcast in the early days. And I'm still doing that. Like, what about this just sucks? Yeah, you have to have courage. You have to have courage to grow. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to allow somebody to tell you what the blind spot is, you can't have ego. You know, I'll give an example. I went through a divorce. I was married 27 years, went through a divorce. It was, it was, I, I was embarrassed. It was shame. It was, you know, it felt like I'd failed, you know, all those kinds of things. And uh, after a number of years, I'd gone through counseling. I wanted to work on myself and, and some of that. And I started dating a beautiful woman who's now my wife. And I texted my ex-wife. And I said, you know, I'm doing a lot of reflection, doing a lot of, you know, stuff like that. And I said, would you tell me what you think were the three main things that I contributed to the demise of our marriage? And she texted me three things. And I texted her back. I said, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. Mm. And then she texted me three more things. And <laughs> and, I, and then she's like, I'm not helping you anymore. But um, But my theory was if my first wife didn't like it, my second wife probably wouldn't like it either. No. So if I wanted my second marriage to work and to last the rest of my life, I needed to look in the mirror. Because when you ask a guy, why'd you get divorced? What does he say? My wife was a real piece of work. You ask a woman, why'd you get divorced? Well, I was married to a real jerk. And rarely will somebody say, well, you know what? I wasn't the best husband, or I wasn't the best wife, or I didn't know how to X, Y, Z. And so whether it's fitness, or it's money, or it's marriage, or whatever, you have to be willing to say, where am I? What am I missing? Um, where am I not living up to my potential? And how can I learn? And how can I grow? And how can I apply that and become better at it? We tend to think naturally the natural tendency is to think that it's always the other person's fault and that and, and doing that requires no courage right uh, well you have to have courage to grow i've never uh, just something so simple but that i've never heard before that's like a that's like a good tweetable you have to have courage to grow i like mm. that chris yeah now with this coaching i feel like uh, i mean there's people like you who have been there done that been very successful and there's people that just are that, that get fired from their job and slap a life coach in their LinkedIn headline and like Believe this me. Is, right. So what's the biggest misconception about coaches? Well, they, you know, the funny thing is, you know, all you have to do is go go rent a Ferrari and drive it down to the local, you know, 
airport, park it in front of a jet, pretend that you own a Ferrari and a jet, and uh, now you're a life coach and uh, or a wealth coach or you know something like mm. that. Yeah, it's it's pretty easy to throw up your your shingle. Uh, I think probably the biggest issue that people have in getting over uh, or getting into coaching um, is they they don't see the value of coaching um, because it can be expensive the, depending upon who you're working with. Uh, Tony Robbins charges a million bucks a year. You want to work with one-on-one with Tony, it's a million bucks a year. Stroke the check, pay it up front, and you get a year with him. Um, you know, the average life coach is probably going to be $7,500 a year. That's still, you know, 600 bucks a month that could be going to a car payment or a vacation or something like that. So you really have to say, you know, what am I buying here? What am I getting? And how will it be helpful to me? And I regularly will say by the second or third call, I will have given somebody, uh, you know, an idea and, and they'll say, wow, that just saved me X amount of dollars. And I'm like, I literally just paid for everything you've paid me for the entire year. Or I tried that business idea that you told me and it made me $50,000. And I'm like, yeah, I I literally made you more than what you're paying me this year. And so um, I think they really have to just not look at the money as an expense, but they look at it as an investment. And certainly you have to pick the right coach. I mean, you, you want to find somebody who knows what they're doing, knows what they're talking about. But you know, if you think about it from an athletic perspective, um, Tiger Woods has a coach. That coach is not a better golfer than him. Phil, Phil Jackson won, I don't know how many NBA championships, I think six with the Bulls and a bunch with the Lakers. I mean, the guy's got probably 10 or 12 uh, championship rings. Um, and he's not a better player than Michael Jordan. He's not a better player than Kobe or Shaq or any of the people he coached. It's not a coach's role to be better than you. It's a coach's role to be looking from the outside in and giving you the kind of feedback you need that you're not necessarily seeing. For example, if you're a basketball player and you go to take a shot and you raise your arms up and you go to shoot, you're looking at it from behind the ball. What about a coach who can look at it from the side or from the front and can say your elbows, the reason you've been missing shots lately is your elbows straying outside and, and it's sending the ball a little to the left. You got to pull that elbow back in and that's what's going to make your shot. You may never see that, even though you're the greatest basketball player in the world or the greatest golfer in the world. You may not see that, but a coach can see that and, and it's worth it to get that feedback from somebody. And that goes back to that's becoming aware of your blind spots, something that is so valuable. I, I mean, we meet so many people, Chris, that are stuck in their ways. They think they've got it figured out and they never improve and they think they've peaked. And so they have, and they don't care about uncovering those blind spots. I think, I think it's less that I think that's what they hide behind. I've got it all figured out. I'm smart. Mm-hmm. I think what it really is, is insecurity. I think that it really, what it really is, is I don't want to admit that I've, I'm wrong. I don't want to admit that I failed. I don't want to admit that I'm not as good as I think I am. I think then what they do is they cover it up with ego. Um, but it's really, if you get down to the deepest part, um, it's insecurity. Uh, I have a coaching client of mine and he's writing a book and we're talking about some branding things. And, and he said, yeah, my wife is telling me that. And you're telling me that. And I said, okay, so the person who loves you most is telling you that the person who paid a small fortune to for a year's worth of coaching is telling you that why won't you do it? I want to get, and this is a wildly successful guy worth well over $250 million. And I said, why won't you do it? And he said, well, he pauses, dead silence on the phone. I just don't want to be known as 
you know, whatever it was, right? And um, and I'm like, that's your problem. You need to own that. He grew up poor. He grew up uh, an immigrant poor in New York City. And um, he's a little embarrassed of how he grew up. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're, you've lived the American dream. Mm-hmm. You need to own that. There's a reason you were born into that situation, to conquer it, to help other people. And But he was embarrassed by it. And that's why he didn't want to write the book in that way. Mm-hmm. Another thing you talk about, uh, one of my uh, one of the concepts I like that you talk about are beliefs and incremental changes. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's funny, you know, um, people will say, you just got to believe you're rich. Well, no. that's that's just easier said than done, right? Because beliefs are these deeply held, deeply ingrained things that stem from years of worldview shaping by your family and church and culture and school and, you know, all these kinds of things. And so it's not easy if you're a poor person and you don't even know a rich person, like if your uncle is the rich guy because he makes 75 grand in a year and that's the only people you know, it's going to be hard for you to believe that you can be rich. So you can say to yourself, I'm going to be rich. But if you don't really believe it, so what you have to do is you have to set some goals and grow your belief. So let's say nobody in your family's ever made $100,000, but you say, you know what? I'm smart. I got a good education. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a hustler. I'll work, I'll outwork everybody. I think I can make, I believe I can make $100,000. If you say, I believe I'm going to make $10 million a year, it's just silly. You don't really believe it. You're saying it. But you don't really believe it. And and we get our results from what we believe because our beliefs creates our thoughts. Our thoughts create our actions. Our actions produce our results. But if you say, I can make $100,000, well, now you hit that $100,000 mark and you say, is it hard for you to believe you can make $100,000? No, because you already have made it. It's, it's not just belief. It's fact. Now you can say... I believe I could do $200,000 because I can put some systems in place and I can hire the right people and allow me to leverage. And I believe I, cause that's actually still believable. And so you grow your belief. Let's say you're, um, 200 pounds overweight. You're really heavy. And, uh, you, let's say you weigh three, 370 and you're supposed to weigh 170. You don't believe that you can weigh 170. You've ne- you haven't weighed 170 since the third grade. And you don't believe that you're going to be 170. But do you believe you could get to 350? Yeah, sure. I believe I could get to 350. That's 20 pounds. I could do that a couple weeks and exercise. And, you know, we all we all know weight comes off easier at the beginning. Well, now you get down to 350. Is it hard for you to believe that you can weigh 350? Not at all, because you weigh 350. Now you believe you can lose 20 pounds. Well, okay, I believe I can lose 20 pounds. I believe I could lose 30 pounds. Well, now you go from 350 to 320 because you, you've hit that 30-pound mark. Now you're 320 and you go, that's easy to believe, 30 pounds. I believe I could lose 50 pounds. Now you're down to 270. So the way you do it is you grow your belief. You started out by only believing you could lose 20 pounds. Now you've grown your belief to where you believe you can lose 50 pounds. And then you just have to lose 50 pounds two or three times and you're down to your ideal weight. Mm-hmm. Same with money, you know, and, and same with weight and same with, you know, love and marriage and all those kinds of things. Grow your beliefs incrementally is the way to get there. What's an example from your life that you've done in maybe the past five years where you've implemented that strategy? You know, I think it's always um, believing that I can grow my brand. I can grow my speaking engagements. Um, uh, 
the size of of stages that I that I've spoken on. You know, I started out speaking to youth groups with like eight people in it. Really? And now, yeah. Now I now I you know I'll go and I'll speak to twenty five thousand people in a stadium. Uh, you know, I've spoken at Joe Louis Arena in in Detroit, which I don't even think is there anymore, and and uh, Rupp Arena at the University of Kentucky. And I walked in, and you know, everybody thought you must have been amazed by the seventeen thousand five hundred people there. I was I was a basketball fan growing up. I was more amazed by all those banners hanging from the ceiling. You know, University of Kentucky. And so growing your brand. Um, In the speaking business, fees, what you charge for a speech, right? There is no set standard for it. You know, when you're talking about gold, there's a price listed on the on the internet what gold is worth per ounce. And so you can't charge $12,000 an ounce because that's not what anybody pays for it. But when you get into the speaking world, why does one speaker get $75,000, another speaker gets $30,000, and another speaker gets $7,500 a speech? Sometimes it's because the guy who's getting 75000 has, you know, 12 million books in print or something like that. But it's all about branding and positioning. And frankly, I think sometimes just having the guts to tell people that's what you charge and then owning it. And uh, I yeah. started out giving free speeches and $500 speeches, and now I get anywhere between twenty dollars and $35,000 a speech to stand up and talk for an hour. And it's worth it. Um, I provide a lot of great value. I help a lot of people make some shifts in their mindset. It helps them grow their business and grow their life. And I don't have any problem quoting that price to anybody. But there are other people who are just as good as speakers as me, just as smart as me, and they can't get themselves to say the word 10,000. Well, speaking of speaking, you're in the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame and uh, Inc. Top 100 Speakers or Top 50, I forget. Uh, but what do you remember? I mean, you said you were talking to youth groups in the beginning. Do you remember your first speaking engagement, if you want to even call it that? Not like, you know, in a school public speaking class, but like your first time, like you were brought in. Yeah. How did you feel? I was, it was funny. I was asked to speak at a, um, a youth retreat that, uh, we went to, um, every year and it was, uh, the first time I got paid. And it was the second year that I'd gone to this thing and they did, um, they did a big group and then they would break up into small groups and different, you know, different youth directors and such would do little breakout sessions. And there was always one on self esteem and nobody ever came to it. And I'm like, well, that's because you didn't name it right. You, you can't just say, Hey, come learn about self esteem. And so there, I remember this. There were 400 kids at this event. It was a weekend retreat kind of thing. And they asked me to speak and, and they said, what do you want to call your title? And I, uh, the title of your speech on self-esteem, I said, I want to call it how to feel good about yourself with a zit in the middle of your forehead. <laughs> and that, and that's what I named it. And ironically, I named it that like three months before I gave that speech. Now I get a pimple or a zit once every two or three years. I just, I never had a problem with acne. I didn't have it as a, as a teenager. I show up that weekend and I kid you not. I had like a third eyeball in the middle of my forehead, just a giant zit. Like, oh like you would have actually thought I painted it on to, to do something for my speech. It just happened, right? And uh, what was interesting was there were four or five breakouts. I was one of them, and they gave the list right before the big group broke up. And they said, you know, um, here's this one. It's called How to Live, uh, How to Feel Good About Yourself, Even with a Big Zit in the Middle of Your Forehead. And I had 390 of the 400 kids came to that one. And uh, three of them had nobody come to it. The other one had 10. And so he just said, bag it. Let's go listen to Widener. So they all went back in there. And that was the first one I can really remember giving, you know, to a good-sized audience. And I just find the irony of the zit in the middle of my forehead quite funny in hindsight. Yeah, You knocked it out of the park? 
Yeah, yeah, I did good. I've I've always been good at speaking. You know, people always ask, do you you ever get nervous speaking? And I I really don't um, because I'm good at it, and I've I'm naturally good at it, and I've worked hard to be really really good at it. Um, every now and then I'll freak a, a meeting planner out. Like for example, at Rupp Arena, I was standing. You know, those big events, they got people with headphones and they got mics in their wrists, and you know they're they're managing everything, clipboards and down to the minute. And and I'm standing behind this curtain on this huge stage in front of 17,000 people and all she's going to do is pull the curtain and I'd walk through out on the stage and the CEO of the company's literally giving my introduction saying, you know, our next speaker, Chris Widener is a best-selling author, blah, blah, blah. And he's in the middle of his introduction and I look at this woman who's got a clipboard and headphones and she's supposed to pull the curtain back and I look at her and I go, I grab my chest and I go, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. And I had this panicked look on my face. I said, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. This is just, this is too much for me. And her eyes got the size of saucers and she looked at me and she said, are you serious? And I waved around. I said, nah, I'm good. This will be totally fine. <laughs> and she totally freaked out. She's like, don't ever do that again. But uh, I've always been good at that. And so, you know, if they asked me to sing the national anthem, I'd have a panic attack. I wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, if they asked me to paint a picture, it would be horrible. But um, I've never had a problem with speaking. Uh, when I was in high school, I bought a book called... Um, uh, Put your money where your mouth is. How to make a living as a public, or how to how to make a fortune as a public speaker was the name of the book. How to make a, a fortune as a public speaker. Put your money where your mouth was was a subtitle. And I bought that book. I think when I was sixteen years old. And I I always said, you know what, I'm good at speaking. I want to do that, and and it's ended up being my entire career. To increase competence, increase confidence, or to increase confidence, increase competence. And you put in the work to increase your competence. And so your confidence increased is what it sounds like. Chris, as we begin to wrap up here, what is the, uh, you know, what's like the worst advice that you hear given in your line of work, you know, say in, in, in coaching? Oh, my word, guys, just, just open up Instagram and 90% of it is rotten advice, yeah. you know, and, and I've realized particularly with Instagram, the reason, you know, I have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, I have like 5,100 followers. And I finally decided it's because I can quote Aristotle and, and I can quote Ralph Waldo Emerson and Jim Rohn and those guys, but I just don't look good in a bikini. And it just seems to me like every, like you got all these you know, these fitness models. Who, I you know. know. They're, they're hanging in there, you know, everything hanging out in a little bikini with these little Aristotle quotes. And, yeah. and they got a million fans. And yeah. I'm just like, this is just ridiculous. You know, I think the biggest one is, you know, just follow your passion. Um, it is good to follow your passion. It's good to have passion. It's good to be excited about your business, about your life, and you should be energetic about it. But it's not just about passion. You have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy. You have to have logic behind it as well. And so I think just this focus on um, on passion. I think the other one is, and I may offend some people when I say this, but good. The, the whole the whole just tell the universe. I'm just telling the universe that I need this and I want that. And no, okay, fine. Say what you want to the universe and then get your ass to work. Develop a plan, work, develop a strategy, get up in the morning, go and do it because um, that's what's going to produce the results. And, you know, the universe isn't going to drop a Ferrari into your lap. You got to go earn that money and buy the Ferrari. So I, those are a couple pieces, but man, you, you could go on and on on bad advice you see on oh, the internet. Absolutely. And yeah, to, to, to bring it back to a tweetable, I don't know why I've been doing that a lot this episode, but replace wishing, waiting, and wanting with work. And it's so funny that you mentioned about Instagram. 
and and I, I hate I'm I'm gonna get flack for it. I get it, but this is what I am observing, and this is how I see it. It's it's becoming almost softcore porn, like in like, it really is like a big pissing contest. And these girls, like I, oh my god, it's so funny. My friend Lauren Tickner, who has 132,000 on Instagram, she's like yeah, you know, she's posting like normal photos and. And she's been, I've been, you know, I've been watching her get less and less engagement over the, over the past year. And, uh, and so she posted this, she posted a photo of her butt and she goes, uh, something along the lines of when it's 2019 and the algorithm is so bad that you have to post a picture of your butt to let people know that you have a, uh, life and business podcast that will change right. their lives. And, yeah. and it got, and guess what? I got three times again. Yeah. Instead of getting, instead of getting 900 likes, it got like 2,800. Well, I'll, so I'll, I'll give you a tweetable quote. Don't credit it to me. You can take it, Jordan. This can be yours. You could sign it as you. Uh, Instagram has become the race to naked. That's what it's ah, become. It's the it race. Is. It's the race to naked. See who can get uh, the least amount. Of, and th- and the dudes are doing it too. Like you know, they're just they're down to their skivvies and showing off their bodies. And, and nothing wrong with a great body, right? I mean, you know, I work out. I try. I'm, you know, I'm not the skinniest guy in the world. I'm not the fattest guy in the world either. But I'm not taking my shirt off on Instagram. I'd break the internet if I did that. Not in a good way. Yeah, I don't know how healthy Instagram is right now. I mean, because. They're, you know, people are being positively reinforced for uh, yeah. not very good things. Yeah, and, and, and young girls, I think, particularly, and this is a whole other subject, but yeah. um, the sexualization of our younger girls and viewing them as a commodity to be viewed um, is, is really, I think, damaging for uh, society, for the men that, that look at it, but also, I think, for the women who play into it and feeling that their self-worth comes from how many likes they get or how many hearts they get, because that's not their that's not their worth their worth is in who they are and and the kind of people they are and the other stuff is is peripheral yeah absolutely chris i'm right in agreement with you there so your new book lasting impact creating a life and business that lives beyond you tell us a little bit about that and when's it coming out yeah, it's going to be out in spring of 2020. I'm, uh, I'm I'm due at the end of this month to turn it in. I've got a lot of great stories in there about friends of mine and and some famous people through history. Um, I'm going to tell the story of a guy named Andre Wadsworth. I, I bumped into Andre yesterday at Starbucks, and and Andre was the uh, a walk on at Florida State. Uh, football. And by the time he graduated, he became the third pick in the NFL draft. And uh, right behind Peyton Manning and a guy named Ryan Leaf, who barely <laughs> ever played in the in the NFL, and then was Andre, signed a big $30 million contract. And in the first three years of his career had um, uh, 15 knee surgeries and washed out of the NFL. This was a guy who was six foot five, 265 pounds, ran a four six five forty, and had a 39-inch vertical jump. The guy is a, a monster. And so uh, the title of the chapter I'm writing about him is called Plot Twist um, because he thought he was going to be a big NFL star, and it ends up he left, he got into business, and he started a Bible study for professional athletes. And then he had 150 professional athletes here in the Phoenix area coming. He had uh, you know the Coyotes and the Suns and the Diamondbacks and, of course, 
towards the Cardinals coming. And he said, man, maybe we should start a church. So he started a church and that church is now one of the 10 fastest growing churches in America. That's a big plot twist, right? So when you think that life is, is, is turning against you, it may be the very thing that life is turning for you. And it might not be anything you imagined. And so that's one chapter, uh, Todd Stottlemyre, whose dad was Mel Stottlemyre, the, the, um, uh, Hall of Fame Yankee. Uh, we're doing a chapter about lessons his dad taught him about being a dad, a major league dad, not just a major league ball player. And so just a lot of great stories about making your life count and building a legacy and making a lasting impact. Excellent. Be on the lookout for that. And to get updated about that, go to chriswidener.com. Uh, check out, uh, what was your Twitter handle, Chris? It's just at Chris Widener. And if anybody is interested in any sort of coaching, uh, I describe the process and give you all the information at widenercoaching.com. Excellent. Chris, this has been an excellent conversation. I thank you for sharing your story today. And it's been a wide-ranging conversation. I really enjoyed this, and I know we'll have many future conversations as well. We'll continue this. My final question is, if you could teach a course at a university, course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? Boy, uh, if you were to say, would you teach a course, that's interesting. But when you say a course at a college, uh, that makes it different because what would I want to teach younger people? Yeah. Um, I would probably want to teach a, a course on the um, morality of capitalism. We live in a day and age where people believe that capitalism is immoral. Oh, I know. And, and oh. there's, a, there's a quote that says, uh, capitalism is the worst form of government or economies except for all the rest. So are there problems? Are there problems with capitalism? Sure. People can be taken advantage of and things like that. But when you look over world history, um, you know, when you look at all the slaughters that took place of, of, of people where leaders just murdered their people into the hundreds of millions, it was always socialist. It wasn't capitalist. Uh, capitalist sets people free. Capitalism uh, allows people to raise their standard of living. I saw an article the other day. It would be interesting. You could Google it. I'm trying to figure out the term you would Google. Um, standard of living Rockefeller. Rockefeller standard of living compared to today. They took a comparison of the world's first billionaire, John D. Rockefeller, and what his life was like on a daily basis. And the average person living in poverty has a higher quality of life than the world's first billionaire. Um, yeah, because, I mean, they didn't have running water. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have indoor plumbing. You didn't have restaurants. You just went out for restaurants. You didn't, you know, uh, it didn't, I, I don't, I think he was pre-car. Yeah, he was pre-car in the mid-1800s. Um, none of that. No flat screens, no cell phones. I mean, the average poor person has a cell. I was walking out of Circle K the other day. This guy uh, says, hey, can I borrow some money? And I handed him a couple bucks. And then he pulls out his cell phone. Guy's got a cell phone. I'm like, I wonder what he pays for that cell phone every month. You you know, and, and so the fact is, even the poor people live at a pretty high level. Is that socialism? No, that's capitalism that has made a, a technology like a cell phone where the average poor person can pull out this little piece of plastic and metal, punch a few buttons, and stick it in front of their face and go face to face with someone on the other side of the world. That's a poor person. I mean, that's what capitalism has done. Is it, It's allowed the standard of living for everybody to increase. Yeah, capitalism ain't that bad, but I mean, with everything, it goes back to a 
a Mark Manson uh, concept uh, who was on the podcast. You choose your problems. You never get rid of problems. Like rich people have problems, poor people have problems. Socialism has problems. So does capitalism. Yep. You just choose your problems. Which problems are more fulfilling? Which problems do you do you want? Which problems are going to work for you? Capitalism ain't that bad. And uh, <laughs> people t- seem to think that the world is worse than it's ever been. But let me tell you, everything statistically is better than it's ever been. So I am totally with you there, Chris. This has been excellent. Chris Widener, you are the man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Growth Mindset University, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, all I ask is that you share it out to your friends, family, etc. on your Instagram story and tag me and our guest today. And don't forget to message our guest as well so that you build your network as you listen and learn with this podcast. And if you really believe that hearing the message of growth is important to the world and you want to help others find our show and you're not satisfied with just taking a screenshot and sharing this on your Instagram story, well, I've got good news for you. You can go the extra mile in helping spread this message of growth. You can leave us an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We have over 200 ratings right now and it has made a gigantic difference for this show, not only helping people find the show, but getting awesome guests. Thank you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn and grow to give.